Hello and welcome to the Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. For our fifth series, we'll be talking about rhythm, how it forms in us, how we carry it and where it can lead us. Valerie June was in New York when we spoke in early March, a touring musician trying to find the positives in a landlocked year. She talked about the stillness she has found through guided meditation, the natural rhythms that have steered her new album, and all of the ways her music carries her history, from singing gospel in Humboldt, Tennessee, to recording with the Queen of Memphis soul, Carla Thomas. Well, the pandemic really changed everything about my life. Before it, I constantly traveled, so I was rarely ever at home for longer than two weeks. Um, But with the pandemic, I spent, I guess, maybe six or seven months just in Humboldt. And that means that I was in the country, (laughs) away from people totally, not just quarantined, but in the country. We live like away from cities. And, um, and it was great. I felt like I was getting super grounded, watching sunsets and talking to the moon and listening to nature and gardening and spending hours and hours playing music every day. And I then came back to Brooklyn and I felt kind of like I wanted to go back to be in nature. So I started looking for a place I could just rent upstate for the winter, just whenever I wanted to drive there and just be loud all day playing music or doing whatever. So I found a little tiny workhouse and I love it. It's just so cute. It's up at the end of the month, but it was a treat to have. (laughs) That's wonderful. First of all, tell us about Humboldt. Tell us where it is, because I think a lot of our listeners will be based in the UK and might not be familiar with it. Humboldt is a small town of 8,000 in Tennessee, and it's West Tennessee, so Memphis is on the west side and Nashville's on the west side. So if you are driving down I-40 from either Memphis to Nashville or Nashville to Memphis, you pass through the area where Humboldt is. That's my little town. (laughs) And Jackson, Tennessee, too. That's the big little town. I have actually been through Humboldt, weirdly. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's a huge shock. Nobody's been through Humboldt. <laughs> have been to some weird places over there, but yes, yeah. And what was it like to grow up in Tennessee? Wow. Um, Jackson was, being the big city, had about 60,000 people. And that's where I was born, at the Madison County Hospital. And I always wanted to travel the world. I remember my mom worked at Kmart. And I went in there one day to visit her, and I saw a woman who was from India. We really didn't have very many um, other cultures, not much diversity. It was just black and white. And so when I saw this beautiful woman wearing a sari, I just was like, wow, I want to see where she's from one day. And so I think being from a small town really was good for me to kind of get my curiosity stirred up around traveling. And pretty much since I turned 18 and left Humboldt and Jackson, I haven't stopped traveling. <laughs> 
I started with my first trip to Africa when I was 19. I worked at a coffee house and saved up enough to get a ticket and went to visit a friend who lived in Nigeria and Europe and everywhere. (laughs) What was that first time leaving the country like? Because I know that Americans, and God bless you all, but Americans have a reputation for not very often leaving their own country or landmass. And I'm wondering if that changed you or changed your relationship with a lot of people who who maybe hadn't traveled? Yes, there was a huge effect on my life. As I experienced being there and seeing people living in mud houses and washing their clothes in rivers that were as brown as the Mississippi River and not having running water in the house, I had such a great gratitude for what I grew up with, for running water and electricity and all the riches that we have as Americans. And I felt a deep sadness that that wasn't across the planet, that availability to resources. But that sadness kind of shifted after I started meeting people in my visit, from aunts to uncles to friends of my friend's family. And I realized that they had a love and a joyfulness about life that I had never seen in my entire life growing up in Tennessee. It was a connection. It was a deep, powerful connection of community. And um, the closest thing to I've seen in the states to a third world country has been Mississippi. That state is really a a lacking state to this day. But to for all the travels that I've done, I'm glad that I started there with the motherland and I touched my foot down on African soil because it just changed my whole perspective to what it means to be a human being what it means to be in the body and to connect and even drink a glass of water and to share moments with others. And I just kind of feel like that was an opening experience for me in the way of, in the way I look at humanity and all of us being one and, and goals about hoping that we can shift the planet so all people can enjoy resources that are come so easily to us in the West. Were you familiar with Nigerian music before you went? Yes. That was one of the reasons I wanted to go because I'd watched many documentaries and things about Fela Kuti and I loved seeing um, the wives and how they dressed and their artistic abilities and things of that sort. So I really wanted to go to visit Egypt 80 right off the plane. But they told me that I couldn't go because it was dangerous. They were like, no, not not a little lady like you. You can't go over there. But I hope one day maybe I get to go back and experience some of the music because the only music I experienced during my journey was the music that my friend's family made, which was awesome. <laughs> what is it that you love about Fellow Cutie? Because I, I know that that's been an influence on your your latest album? Well, even though I don't agree with everything he ever said, (laughs) or did even, Mm. I love how fierce he is in speaking truth to power. And he almost was possessed by his vision for what he wanted to see as far as change in his country. And he was outspoken in speaking about 
things like racism throughout the world. And so speaking that truth to power is kind of one of the things I love, but I also love the trances that his songs are able to um, bring about if you're listening. They will stay in a groove and a certain hypnotic kind of trance. And and I think that's very important when we're trying to um, have a certain thought on our mind again and again. It's very important to have repetition with it because it becomes easier to create it if you if you're focused there. That's why, you know, focus is so important for manifestation. So um, I, I like that about what he does. Now, how you use it is kind of important. You don't want to focus it in a way that's destructive for others. So mindfully focused energy is kind of what I would like to see happen with those trans type of music, type of experiences. That's beautiful. You grew up in a pretty musical household, didn't you? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, my household in Humboldt and Jackson, there were five kids and my mom and dad and my father was a music promoter and we all worked with him in his business, helping him to promote shows. But when we weren't working or going to school, as we traveled to church, to the grocery store, anywhere we had to be, we sang. We sang like Jackson 5, but we were the hockey 5. <laughs> what were you Everybody singing? Everybody had parts. Um, <laughs> we would sing gospel songs, things that we knew from church. We would sing um, just kids' songs like the crawdad song or she'll be coming around the mountain. But the way we sang them was that we would all have parts and we'd have like, somebody would do the low, like boom, 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 boom. And then somebody else would be like, ah, you know, hit the highs. And it would happen in random times. Somebody would just start a song while we're folding clothes or while we're washing up the dinner dishes or while we're going to visit Gran and Whenever they started a song, then somebody else would jump in. And by the time it was over, all five of us were in. <laughs> Your career now, though, is is predominantly as a solo artist. I mean, I, I appreciate you sing with a band around you. And how does it feel to be out on your own without that sort of family harmony around you? Well, as I started out in music, I have tried many times to involve my partner, for example, with my first marriage, Mike, he was a guitar player mm-hmm. and he played acoustic guitar all the time around the house. I didn't play, but I sang, but my voice wasn't really a voice he liked. And so I kind of had to force my way in on his songs because <laughs> <laughs> I was hearing melodies and I turned us into a band and I booked us shows and got us a following around town. And we were doing pretty good in our little Memphis gig. And that was that experience in working with a partner. And then after that, I kind of told myself that no matter what, I always want to be able to just stand in a room, play a song and sing by myself. That's got to be the basis of what I do. So I think that kind of changed my outlook on band dynamics and what I thought was um, the goal for what I needed to to do musically. 
But I do, like you said, I have these amazing musicians all around me, and many of them I've been working with for a decade. And it's just so wonderful when we all get in the room and we just pick up where we left off. We just like, you know, it's like not a day passed <laughs> because they play with other bands and other symphonies and orchestras and Broadway and all kinds of stuff. So I love that. And I also have pockets of musicians in different parts of the world now, like in London, uh, in Hungary, in um, Tennessee, of course, some in LA. So whenever I go to a town, I can always invite someone to join or create a whole different band around what I'm trying to do. So it gives me a little flexibility to be a solo artist. You mentioned um, the role of gospel in the church growing up. I'm just wondering what that gave you musically and what what it taught you about what music can do and what what the rhythms of gospel might be. Oh, wow. I love gospel music so much. <laughs> Last night I watched some live footage of Dr. John, Alan Toussaint, and Etta James, and she did Amazing Grace at the very end of the footage. And I was just like, I don't care. You call her jazz, blues, anything. But when she hit that Amazing Grace, I was all in. <laughs> and um, gospel music, the power of it to feed your spirit and your heart with its messages, that's really it. Like, I fell in love with stories of songs by going through the songbook at my church and that songbook being full of 999 songs and reading those lyrics and hearing those stories. And um, when you hear those stories, they just... Like, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. As a fairy woman, I listened to that, and I was like, wow, that totally feels right to me. <laughs> the message of it that, you know, the time here is precious, and we don't get long in these bodies, and... You know, it's okay sometimes to not feel at home in the world because you have another connection to deeper places, more ethereal realms and things of that sort. And the connection to places is different for everybody. So I never say that it has to be one way. I was raised that it has to be one way, but my mind being a worldly mind and a traveler's mind never could accept that as a truth. (laughs) Quite right. (laughs) Um, at the point that you met Dan Auerbach of the Black Keys and, and he produced Pushing Against the Stone, that was a very different kind of musical collision, really, wasn't it, than the music you'd grown up with? It was different, yeah. So different. Because Dan, he was just opening up Easy Eye, and I think I was one of the first musicians to go in there, and it was a total rock and roll feel up in there. And we invited people like Jimbo Mathis and Richard Swift. And so Jimbo is from Mississippi, so he brought in this whole hill country vibe. Eric Deaton's from Mississippi, so he brought that. And that was by Dan's choice that they would be the musicians who help us with the record. 
The wild card was Richard Swift. He mm. was brought in by Kevin Agunas, and he was seriously one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> so we had all of these elements of a West Coast vibe mixed with a Southern Deep South Blues vibe mixed with dance, rock and roll. And it was inevitable that we were going to come out with something insane. <laughs> So yeah, that was a different experience. Even my songwriting sessions with Dan, I wasn't very experienced with writing songs with another person. He was kind of one of the first. And um, that experience was probably my favorite part of working with him was the songwriting. Why was that? Well, I learned so much. He would talk to me about like giving a picture in the mind of the person of what the lyrics are saying. Don't just say lyrics. Let them paint a picture uh, in a person's mind. So they walk into a room and they're sitting there in those lyrics, not just singing them, but they're feeling them all the way by that photograph and that picture. And I thought that was really cool because I never think about lyrics, really, until after I write the song. I go back and I'm like, well, what is that about? (laughs) (laughs) But that way of writing was one of my favorite things to learn from him, you know. How easy is it when when you're put in a room with another songwriter and you have to co-write to strike up a sort of rhythm between the two of you? Well, it either happens or it doesn't. And I try to make sure that there's popcorn there just in case it doesn't because it cannot happen. It's just like being on a first date or something. <laughs> Is it sweet or salty popcorn? Oh, it's salty. <laughs> okay, good. Just, just needed to clarify. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, if you could just eat popcorn and laugh and talk about music, that makes it all great. <laughs> How do you start, though? What's your sort of opening? How do you get the measure of somebody musically? For me, I have to go in with something, like a line and a melody, and just several of them, actually, and sing a few of them. And usually the other songwriter will have something as well. And whatever we both connect with, that's what we work on. I haven't gone into a room to write a song with anyone and just we started making it up like right there. Mm -hmm. Usually, like with the song Pushing Against the Song, for example, Richard Swift started playing something on the drums and then he played it on the, he plays everything. So he played it on everything basically and gave the feel for it. And then Dan started playing. He was like, yeah, I love that. So Dan started playing and then the musicians started playing. And then I started hearing the layers of lyrics, but he had to come into the room with that, you know? If he didn't come into the room with that, none of us other musicians would have been able to even go to that space. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that's kind of super important for me in a writing session is that somebody comes with something. There has to be a seed. I want to be a writer who goes in and somebody says, we need a song about blue clouds and or clear skies. And I go in a room with people and we just write a song about clear skies, write about something out of the blue without a sea, just a thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm not that kind of writer yet. What 
What was the seed for this record? So many. <laughs> Each song has its own seed. And so they, <laughs> they just, different, different experiences, I guess, or yeah, different times in my life. And, you know, just going back through it and being like, wow, <laughs> how did that even happen? Like, stay. It just started with keys. And I was playing these block chords and I don't play piano, but I looked up chords on my phone and I just was like, dun, dun, dun. And then I started hearing voices, and so that's how that one started coming. They all come in different ways. I was really struck, firstly, listening to the album, because it is something of a, a song cycle, but it also has these, these moments of pause and reflection and meditation within it. And then reading about how you made the album, you had a lot of ritual in the recording process, recording on the full moon and bringing flowers in. And I'm just wondering what those sort of rhythms and those moments of pause and contemplation brought to these songs. Well, Jack and I knew that we had to have and carve those moments after, you know, our first day of sculpting our idea of what the music would sound like, I guess, with Mr. Lester, with flutes and with horns and all of that. And after we had kind of the idea of who were going to be the characters, then just settling into this space of, okay, I was hearing chimes. It just needs to happen. We need to have a moment. We need to have a moment where we just have chimes. <laughs> And I didn't know it was the meditation until after I worked with um, Sister Peace, who is a Buddhist monk that I really love and adore, and I enjoy her meditations and conversations and walks with her. And Sister Peace gave me the courage to share it as a meditation. It was there as music. And to me, it was a meditation, but I didn't share that side of myself with people. It was personal. How did you meet Sister Peace? We worked together on a program in Memphis that's called We Are Grounded. And what it was for and is for is helping to reduce like gun violence in Memphis because it's a seriously violent town. And so what we did was we mentored students at East High School through art and mindfulness meditation. And by the end of our time together, the students would lead us in meditations as well. So Sister Peace brought out my courage to share my spirituality and that side with my fans and my people. But she also brought it out in each of the students that we were working with because the students were left on their own by the time summertime came around last year. And they would have Zoom calls where different ones of them would lead meditations for each other. <laughs> and wow. what it does to a teenager who is hormone-raged and living in a, the midst of a dangerous neighborhood and going through so much, to have those moments carved out is huge. And so 
I think, you know, it seems to be popular for people to share their meditations and wellness and health and well-being. And I say bring it on. We need more people doing it, you know, because of what it does and what it, uh, how it can uplift you and carve out this peaceful space for you to be and exist. And so we had stay meditation just as music, right? And I was just calling it stay. And like the whole piece, I was calling it stay. But after working with Sister Peace, we had recorded it like in 2018. I worked with Sister Peace in 2020. And I said to Sister Peace, I was like, I think this song on my record, and I sent it to her, the clip of Stay Meditation, is a meditation. And she listened to it and she said, yeah, it is. I said, well, what do you think I should name it? And she said, just name it Stay Meditation. (laughs) I was like, okay, thank you. (laughs) And with the one at the end, I shared that with her. And she was like, that's just beautiful. I'm very happy. So her nurturing of art and of people, like not just me, but the students as well. When someone gives you that courage to share your light in that way, it's like you, I almost needed the approval to do it because being raised strict Christian, it was a lot to have people say, this is the only way (laughs) to you. And so I always wanted to keep my spirituality and things of that to myself. But I think there's a magic to sharing meditations and sharing uplifting moments with other people. I guess it's kind of what I saw when I was in Africa with the community. And it wasn't religious. It was just sharing more things and having more community. We live in these worlds where we're all so kind of insular and isolated in some ways compared to what I imagined it used to be like. So I think meditations are ways where we can connect with ourselves and with our our friends or our circle, but also nature. You you mentioned nature and and the last meditation or the last moments of the record, it's a blending of music and chimes and there's mockingbirds, isn't there? And there's, there's the actual natural sounds you could hear outside your window. Oh, yes. Every day, they are so beautiful. They're loud. You wake up to them and they are not shy. (laughs) And they sing all day long. The only time they kind of slow down with the singing is when the southern sun is beating hot. Then they kind of will go rest a little bit and they'll come back towards the end of the day and you'll hear one started and then across the way, a totally different type of bird would go again. What I want to know and what I hope to find out in my time this summer in Tennessee is what each individual bird song is. Like, I know mockingbird sounds, but there were so many sounds, and I want to be able to identify birds by their songs. (laughs) Me too. Um, You said about how meditation can connect community and, and talk about the the good and the benefits of that and working with Sister Peace in 2020. 2020 was a, a very particular and very highly charged year in America with the protests last summer and with the election. And I know that you were involved with um, getting people out to vote. You did. You helped with the campaign for that. Um, I'm just wondering in terms of sort of rhythms of a nation and 
the cycles that any nation goes through, where you feel America is at at the moment, because the last four years or so have been pretty, how should we put it, potent over there? They have been. And I think it's right on time in a lot of ways to have all of that surfaced in our lives where we are able to see where we need to make changes with clarity. We have this clear picture of what we need to do as far as how can we make um, our country more equal, more balanced. And, you know, I think we're at a place of, I call it a portal. It's open now with this new year and this new administration. And in the portal, we're able to recreate so many things in the way we relate to each other. And so, but portals don't stay open long. They just stay open for just a short amount of time. And I really feel as I sit here and talk about a portal for positivity, there are people who are meeting in places all around our country to recreate scenes like what happened in on January 6th. So if you have an open heart, if you have a positive outlook on life, if you believe in the oneness of humanity, it's very important that you use the time while this portal is open to connect with others, to connect with other people who want to see a more beautiful and holistic and wonderful earth and just more mindful living, more kindness in our communities and and looking beyond skin color and, and you know, just trying to see who is this human and how can I connect with them? I think now we have a, a like we all can take a huge deep breath because we're not being forced to have this negativity incited at every single moment by the last administration, gasoline on fires that were already there brewing. But that deep breath has to go so deep that it connects us with our neighbor. It connects us in a more peaceful way to one another. Because I think like if we have each other's best interests at heart and it's not us against them and everything I'm on my own, um, then we're going to be able to sculpt a, more, a better world and a, a stronger nation. And I just envision America as a strong nation. I envision it being a place like Dr. King's wishes and hopes and dreams. And I know once we do that, then all of that will trickle to other countries, you know. So I think we have a powerful place. Each person has power. Each person has the ability. We can't depend on D.C. to make all the decisions and how we're going to treat each other every day and what we're going to do and how we're going to look out for those across the way, you know. Absolutely. We have to do it ourselves. I have a poem called Responsibilities After Voting, and it says, vote is just a checkmark on a page. I'd rather see a thirsty heart rattle in a cage. Yes. <laughs> Give me water or feel and hear my rage. We are living in a rich, blind age. And the reason why is because that is what it is if we cannot connect on a soul level. Absolutely. So. Um, you mentioned your, your first trip out of the country and you went to Africa. You went to Nigeria. And on this album, you've got um, an African pro- proverb. Can you just tell us about, about that? Yes. Carla Thomas reads this African proverb and... It says, only a fool tests the depth of the water with both feet. And last night, 
like I said, I listened to this uh, show with Etta James on there. And after that, I watched an interview with her. And in this interview, she just says, I've been a fool. I've just been such a fool in my life. I've just been such a fool. And she kept saying it again and again. And I laughed because what you have to do, she said, but I would always do that. I, would, I wouldn't make any decisions differently. And she said, I would be a fool all the time. And I believe that that's the way we have to live when we have dreams. We have to fully just dive into the water with both feet. And we do it with love. We do it with dreams. We, that's the only way to live. And you look back later, and if you fall, that's okay. You just dust off. The failure is always going to be there, but you can't let it define who you are. <laughs> you can't let it, you can't settle for it. So I think it's always just get up and take that leap every day and go into the water. By the end of the song, Call Me a Fool on the record, Carla, who was the fairy godmother who kind of held your hand and said, are you sure you want to follow that dream or follow your heart? She's happy you did it. She's singing along. She's like, She's like, I'm so glad you did that, baby. <laughs> you mentioned Carla, and, and Carla is the queen of Memphis soul. Um, growing up in that neck of the woods, what did, what did that sound mean to you, and what did it mean to get Carla on the record? Wow. Well, there's a moment where, you know, I feel like I got blessed by one of my elders when I had Carla Thomas on my record, but also by spending the entire day with her and listening to her tell me the stories of her life and doing it with such joy, you know? She should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. NPR put her as one of the 41, or I think it was 200 women who should be listed in the Rock <laughs> and Roll right. Hall of Fame. And she was number six. <laughs> she ain't mad though. She ain't mad. She's like, well, I'm just <laughs> glad I got to sing. <laughs> It's a wonderful experience. Yeah. And I'm picturing you now today in Brooklyn. And I'm also picturing you listening to Mockingbirds back in Tennessee. And I'm wondering about the different rhythms of, of the city and the country and the south and the north. And I'm wondering where you sit. Every city and every place does have a different rhythm. When Sister Peace uh, did a meditation, walking meditation in Mississippi with us at Thich Nhat Hanh's monastery there, um, we walked very slowly and very mindfully. She came to New York. We did the same meditation in Manhattan. She was like, whoa, the city's moving me. I really want to go, really want to go fast. And I said, yeah, I, you know, I've been doing the walking meditation in New York for so many years. And I remember the day when I first started it here and the pace and how I had to just surrender to it. I had to find my pace within all of the madness and the fun and the adventure that happens in the city. And so with every city I go to before my gigs, I always do a walking meditation. I'll just, we'll all get into the venue. I'll tell the band, I'm going for my walk because I want to feel the rhythm of that city because I know how to sing my songs in that city when I feel that rhythm. And I just, I visit rivers in those cities because the rivers also tell you the rhythm of 
that town. Um, the Mississippi runs different in the South in Memphis than it does in Minnesota and Minneapolis. And Canada, Mississippi really runs different. It's like a thin line. So um, the rhythm of the world and just constantly like finding your balance on the planet is kind of our, our dance of life that we're all doing, you know. You've got this beautiful accent. Does that shift when you are in North and in New York? I think it has, but when I go places here, people, they say, where are you from? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're still saying that, and I've had a place here for almost 10 years. (laughs) Um, I have many voices. I think my voice when I'm sleepy is lower and, like, super awkward, but I've learned to use that one. I try to use my voices, like, whatever part of the day I'm in, wherever my voice is, if it wants to be high or soft or whatever, I like messing with the rhythm and the sounds of my voice, my speaking voice, too. That's one thing I loved about Carla. Well, I didn't know she was going to read the African proverb, but I heard her talking voice and I was like, you have to. Your voice is perfect for this. It is an ex- astonishing speaking voice, actually, isn't it? Um, just tell us what the rhythm of, of London is, because I imagine a lot of our listeners are British and a lot might be in London. Sorry to everybody else in the rest of the uh, British Isles, but what's the rhythm of London when you walk our streets? Well... The London's rhythm to me is a zigzag. (laughs) That's the way I see it. Like, there's so many beautiful little cobblestone streets and angles and turns and toss and go this way. And, oh, what's down that lane? And what's down that lane? And I just love that about it. It's not as fast as New York, but I think that's part of the zig and the the Mm -hmm. spiral. Because the lanes here in New York are more like you can go straight down one, mm-hmm. long, long, long. With London, you go down one, you must turn, go up, turn, 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 turn. So it's like a labyrinth there. That's what the pace is like. It's like a labyrinth to me. That's a very good way to put it. Um, so Valerie, when you play with a band, you've already got a, a built-in rhythm section. You don't have to be responsible for that part of, of a song. When you're singing by yourself and you're playing by yourself with a guitar, you're doing everything. Is that powerful or is that restricting or or are they just very different experiences? So when I play solo, that's the core of the song. That's the seed of the song. So I feel comfortable there. But what I want to do, and I've experienced this recently, We all got COVID tested and we did a band shoot of two songs. And I want to put the guitar down. I want to dance so hard. And I just want to like soar and let the rhythm section just take me there. So I think that's where I want to go. I think that's what I want to do. I'm so happy that, you know, I play and I, you know, am able to, write songs on an instrument from banjo to guitar or block chords, even on that one song. But it was important to give it to the piano player. (laughs) I played it for him in my way, like, oh, I don't know. I need him as a piano player who's played for his entire life. And the band's probably 50 now, but I need him to play his ass off on it. (laughs) So so that's kind of the thing for me with the songs is 
they must always be able to be just a root and a folk song so I can go and play it solo and feel okay with the song and comfortable in it. But I also want the songs to soar. I don't want to hold them back. And I feel like sometimes maybe if I'm with a band, if I just put the guitar down, maybe the song will soar even more. <laughs> Most podcasts are presented by me, Laura Barton, and produced by Jeff Bird. The music for this series is by Laura James. Toast is a British clothing and lifestyle brand that aspires to a slower, more thoughtful way of life. To hear more episodes from this and former series, head to Toast Magazine, which can be found at www.toa.st. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe.